I'm Carlton Owen, immediate past president and CEO of the U.S. Endowment for Forestry and Communities and a proud supporter of Keeping Forest. Keeping Forest is the producer of this podcast called How the River Flows. Keeping Forest is built on a powerful and simple idea to ensure that our region's forests have a future. We're working hard to conserve the 245 million acres of existing forests by supporting private landowners, shedding light on why this land matters, and showing what you can do to help. Every episode of How the River Flows will take a close look at the relationship between healthy forests and clean drinking water. Our experts will share their best ideas along with specific examples about conserving local forests to ensure a lasting, clean supply of drinking water to meet local needs. Each time, we'll bring you a new take on how landowners can be compensated for the tremendous environmental value that their working forests provide to everyone. You'll learn how these innovations are financed, managed, and even how your local community can join the effort in protecting our precious southern forests and the many benefits, including clean water, that they provide. So sit back and enjoy this episode of How the River Flows. Thanks, Carlton. Hello, I'm Leo Viana, Senior Director of Conservation Impact with the Sustainable Forestry Initiative, and welcome to the Keeping Forest podcast. In today's episode of How the River Flows, we'll be talking about money, the economics of payment for ecosystem services. My guests today are Drs. Travis Rosiniak and Justin Baker. Dr. Rosiniak is a research economist with the U.S. Forest Service. His work focuses on the valuation of ecosystem services, particularly as they relate to water resources and watershed health. That is to say, he figures out how to put a price tag on what water's worth, which is not as easy as that may sound. My other guest is Justin Baker, an associate professor of forest resource economics and director of the Southern Forest Resource Assessment Consortium at NC State. Justin's work entails economic modeling and policy analysis of forestry, land use, and water resource systems. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Leo. It's great to be here. Thanks so much for the invitation. Great. I want to jump right in and ask each of you a question that we ask all our guests. What does the term ecosystem services mean to you, Travis? I think that's a fair question. It's a, it's a big and broad one. You know, I think the language around ecosystem services first came about when we were trying to address a lot of the missing parts in the way we're talking about nature's role in our lives and our economies. For a long time, we've known how to value things like timber production, recreation, things that play a really big part and really obvious part of a local economy. It's easy to see how jobs are created for timber production, for example, but things like carbon sequestration, water purification, it's harder to see that direct link in those values and jobs. Now, that doesn't mean that any less important, right? Their job in keeping us alive and supporting local communities. In general, making, I, I would say, our lives more awesome. The truth of the matter is that we're starting to listen to and start to talk about, in a broader way, the benefits of nature. We're starting to list them out, these ecosystem services. And I think if you went from person to person, that list would be nearly infinite. So ecosystem services are, yeah, they're, they're broad, they're big, but they're that key part to, to how we connect as people to, to nature. So let me ask you a follow-up question. Why is it important in the context of watersheds and forests? Well, we know that healthy watersheds lead to cleaner water, and that cleaner water is easier and cheaper to turn into safe and clean drinking water. What we don't often know is how to make that happen. One of the greatest things that I think the ecosystem services discussion has given us is the concept of natural capital. Yes, it's helpful that, and perhaps important to know the value of all those infinite ecosystem services, that long list that people value. 
but it's a hard task. I think the best way to go about doing that might be to invest in the land base, to look at those foundation levels of what we come to call natural capital. I think this term, this phrase has been a big part of what ecosystem services and that science and the language has given us. When we start thinking of ecosystem services as that land base, as that natural capital, we, we move into, at least for economists, as a probably maybe a more sophisticated or more mature, I, I think, literature and, and ability to discuss this issue. When we plan for things like retirement, we take into things like timeframes and risk. We build up that capital base. You know, and, and I think we want to start talking to water providers about doing something that looks a lot like that. We can start talking about just not the benefits, not just those flows of ecosystem services, but how to build up that natural capital. We can talk about how natural capital might complement something like the technological solution. This idea of a multiple barrier approach to managing our water systems. Nature should be part of that system. Thank you, Travis. That's a, that's a lot to think about. I want to go back to one of your earlier points about the difficulty of seeing a direct value, uh, of direct link to values, which I think is a good one. And I want to bring in Justin and ask him the same sort of formative question, right? Justin, what does ecosystem services mean to you? Thanks, Leo. And thanks, Travis. So kind of pivoting off of Travis's points of thinking about our connections to the natural world, you know, to me, ecosystem services really represent that critical linkage between the economy, our built environment, and nature. So typically, when we think of the economy, we think of the skills of our labor force or our human capital, or maybe we think about the strength and the reliability of our infrastructure or our physical capital. But as Travis stated, natural capital is often this really underappreciated component of the economic system. We know that ecosystem services really tie directly to those economic systems, both at local and global scales. You know, we know that we need adequate supply of water for household consumption, to grow crops, to generate energy, and to drive industrial processes. But we don't often value that water the way perhaps it should be valued. We also derive value from ecosystem services that may have nothing to do with these production processes right? But they provide benefits to households in other ways, such as recreational benefits. So one important consideration here that I think is really critical is that human activity can really affect the availability or the quality of those ecosystem services, right? So kind of sticking with uh, the example of source water protection, we know that deforestation can alter the hydrologic cycle, can lead to additional nutrients or sediment in our surface water systems, while eliminating other ecosystem services that we may care about, like carbon sequestration, right? So it's really the loss of these services that, that has an adverse impact on economic systems, because once they're gone, they either take a really long time to get back or they're gone forever. And that can actually have residual costs on these economic systems, right? And so this is what I like to think of as a feedback loop. We're impacting ecosystems, that's costing us money, and it creates this kind of vicious cycle. So these important feedback loops between economic production processes or economic development and the health of our ecosystems really requires a constant balancing act. That's very interesting. How does that natural capital accounting, nature-based solutions, and sustainable forestry all relate? It's a really great question. And so to kind of dive a little deeper on my, my previous comments, I'll start with the climate space. That's kind of what I'm familiar with. I, I work a lot in climate policy, climate mitigation in the land use sectors. And so we know now that financing of nature-based solutions to mitigate or adapt to climate change is really gaining steam, both through the Paris Accord, the Bond Challenge, and new market activities that are supporting forest carbon offsets. We've seen a lot of countries committing to forest-based climate mitigation, such as forest planting and reduced degradation. 
And, you know, it's, it's funny when we think about these activities in the climate space, they have a lot of other benefits. And so some of the same types of nature-based solutions that we talk about in the water sector, we've been talking about in the climate sector as well. For instance, there's a 2018 United Nations report on nature-based solutions that does a deep dive on some of these solutions, some of these management strategies, and the potential benefits that they can offer to the water sector, such as enhancing water availability, improving quality, and maybe most importantly, reducing water-related risks from natural disasters. Right. So kind of sticking on that point a bit, natural or sustainable resource management solutions are kind of just one set of tools available in our toolkit to improve the resilience of our water sector, of our infrastructure more broadly to emerging threats such as climate change. So we can think of resilience as our capacity to adapt to or really to respond to change, be that abrupt change or gradual. You know, a gradual change you could think of as population growth and urban development or even climate change, things that happen slowly. But you can also have abrupt change, which could come in the form of a natural disaster like a hurricane, an earthquake, a major flood event, or more recently, extreme cold. On that level, you know, we've all seen the impact that these really dramatic weather events can have on infrastructure, thinking about the power outages recently in Texas. And we have a sense for what the potential investments are needed to improve the resilience of the grid in Texas to make sure that this kind of thing doesn't happen again. But, you know, more broadly, when we think about infrastructure across the country or across the world, you know, we really need to take a portfolio approach and we need to be thinking of a combination of nature-based and engineering-based solutions to improve the resilience so that we can better adapt to, to some of these, you know, extreme forms of change that, that we anticipate in the coming decades. Thank you for that answer. I, I, I really want to sort of, you know, go a little deeper on this and, and, and circle back to Travis as well. So we understand that it's important to value the services that the natural world provides. And your answer, Justin, it also sort of touched upon the importance of considering the implications of trade-offs. Travis, I'd like to, you know, we talk about, we understand the importance of something, but then we want to do it. Those are two different things, right? Understanding something and getting it done. So what are some of the things that you need for a successful implementation of, say, nature-based solutions? What are the conditions or enabling factors for the listener out there? You need so much, Leo. Tons and tons of stuff. It's a broad question. You know, I think more than anything else, you need partnerships. That's got to be what it's about. The role of the water utility is to provide safe, clean drinking water at affordable prices, right? Healthy forests are part, a valuable part of that equation. They're a huge part. Let's not kid ourselves. But the value of a healthy forest is, is real, right? And the size of those benefits vary significantly from user to user. And, and I think that's what we need to start, start acknowledging and, and start trying to understand in a sort of a, a deeper, broader context. When we talked about investing in healthy watersheds and those benefits, at least in the circles I travel around, the classic case studies end up being something like New York City and their, their watershed investments. In Colorado, we, we talked about Denver water and, and huge investments in, in watershed health. But those are huge investments. They're huge systems, right? They're, they're massive areas of acreage and, and forestry. So I think we need to start asking ourselves a little bit about, about the small systems, the small water providers that are struggling to keep up with needed infrastructure faced with things like declining rural populations and ratepayers. You know, what, what about areas where land and land-based conservation is really expensive? How do we start addressing 
watershed health in those types of areas. I, I think we we bring utilities on board because it's it's a natural place in our our lives. A lot of us pay our our water bills and and we can look at a large benefactor of of watershed health and watershed investments. We can go through the utility to do something like passing on fees to ratepayers. It's a relatively straightforward, I would say, payment for ecosystem framework. I think in many cases, though, if we wanted to just sort of add up sort of this accounting benefits of something like watershed protection, watersheds are huge. The investments needed are huge. It's, it's not going to be enough, I think, in a lot of cases. I think we need to start talking about pairing those benefits to water providers with the benefits to folks like hunters and hikers, benefits to human health, addressing the benefits to nature to our kids, right? So all of these other things that happen in a watershed, in a forest, this whole suite of, of benefits essentially from a healthy forest. I think we need to start bringing together those partnerships. I think we need to start telling our, our folks that do watershed protection, our forest managers, that if you're not already part of the community, part of those bigger issues, if you're not going to a chamber of commerce meeting or a rotary club meeting, then you should. You need to be part of that community. You need to start bringing all these groups together to start building up partnerships, start taking something that looks like a holistic approach to watershed health and the benefits. That's what a watershed does, right? It brings all of those things that happen on a landscape together in one focal point. I think we need to start addressing that partnership part. Thanks, Travis. Hearing you give that response, I keep thinking of the it's sort of the big tent analogy, right? How many people can we get under the big tent? These holistic approaches, right? We all depend on water, so it's really important. And, and I, I think you've articulated keeping forest sort of mission statement, <laughs> you know, the, the, the challenges and the opportunities that this dynamic sort of presents itself. I wanted to ask Justin, you know, and I I admit my uh, my role at Sustainable Forestry Initiative plays a part in this question, but can you share, Justin, an example that exemplifies the role of sustainable forestry leading to water quality benefits? And if not, can you share some learnings or lessons learned from past projects? Sure. Thanks for another great question. I think I'll take the latter part here and just talk a little bit about some recent lessons and learnings from some related research efforts. You know, the, the concept certainly isn't new, that there's this relationship between source water protection and healthy forests. But, you know, I would argue that we're really at a point where we need new information and we need new evidence. We've seen past research efforts and pilot studies uh, in specific locations that are looking at connections between forests and drinking water systems. You know, one prominent example is the, the Forest Services Forest Faucets Initiative. And they put out a report, you know, recently exploring surface drinking water systems in the southern United States and connections to public and privately managed forest land. And one of the things that was interesting about that report is that they indicated that more than 50 million people across the southern United States, or approximately one-sixth of the population of the U.S., gets their drinking water from surface water supply systems that are connected to or that are you know, really reliant on state and private forests, right? So that gives a sense of the scale that we're talking about here. This is a really, really large portion of the population that's vulnerable to land use change and the implications that that might have on the hydrologic system and water availability or water quality, right? Some other, some other you know, emerging kind of positive signals that we may see incentive structures emerge that really support forest preservation or sustainable forestry and the water-related benefits they provide. So, you know, we've talked a little bit about carbon offsets already, but there's other environmental markets to consider here, right? So the uh, nutrient trading markets offer one example where we have 
point source polluters that are able to pay landowners or land managers for practices that, that help reduce nutrient flow into surface water systems. Related, we're seeing new environmental markets in the electricity sector around thermal water quality, right? So in, a, in an effort to meet water discharge temperature requirements, thermoelectric plants are now paying landowners to plant trees and to, to manage their forests in a way that supports shading of those watersheds so that you can effectively reduce water temperatures and improve uh, outcomes downstream. So, you know, when we think about the relationship between forest protection and water quality for, for, for drinking water systems, you know, it's quite possible that we could see new markets emerge that are, that are similar here that really try to compensate forest managers for the uh, activities that they invest in that really help enhance or protect source water quality. I'm going to play the part of the audience for a minute here. The fact that you talk about scale and new environmental markets, sometimes, you know, people are hesitant to understand the, the valuation of something. And I think, you know, the example of 50 million people across the southern U.S. get their drinking water is really a good point to sort of bring home. And also the possibility of, you know, additional markets for, 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 these, um, for these land managers. So I want to wrap up by asking one last question. So, Travis, if you could share one key message regarding the economics of source water protection, what would that be? I know that's a that's a hefty question with multiple parts, but just to leave the audience member with one sort of takeaway message on this. Sure, one key message. I think I'm going to circle back a little bit, and and if you wanted to simplify it, I, I think that key message is that we need you, right? We need the Leos and the Justins out there. We need all the listeners. The problem is huge. You know, Justin mentioned resilience and feedback, and between natural and social and economic systems. You know, partnerships are big part of that resilience. And resilience is needed because we don't know what the next big issue is going to be, right? We don't know what scale or time frame it might occur. We're often moved to action by large sudden events. You know, Justin mentioned sort of the fast and the slow moving events. These, these things like wildfires and hurricanes, yeah, they move us to action. But what about sort of those everyday and the mundane? What about things like expansion and development and roads and the things that we do in our yards and the things that we do in our developments in our cities and that local governments do? What about, you know, what, how, do we, how do we start addressing the, the large complexity of those, those economics of bringing everyone together? Things like financial stability of, of small water providers. The, you know, forests do a lot of that. They do a lot of the legwork for us. They do a lot of organizing our thoughts and bringing our partnerships together. You know, I, I think that the more we focus on partnerships, the more we focus on bringing things together and building up that sense of resiliency, I, I think we're going to be in good shape. You know, some of these issues that are, are occurring, things like development, we're not always good at tackling those types of problems. They fly under the radar. If we knew what the next threat would be to forests, we'd start preparing for it. But the reality is we don't. We don't know what it's going to be, and we have limited resources. So investing in that social capital, investing in our natural capital, talking about how those things are linked, I think that's the message I want to leave with listeners today. I think it's all about partnerships. I think it's about you and I and, and folks out there and, and bringing it all together. Thanks, Travis. I really like this idea of unifying concepts for partnerships, right? Water and forests unify us all. We're, it's already there. We're just sort of using the lens of natural capital accounting to sort of be able to address that. I want to ask just the same thing to you. What are the key messages that you think the listeners should leave here with today? 
So thanks. I really like the way Travis framed this, this idea of investing in partnerships, right? And I couldn't agree more. I think it's absolutely critical that we get a diverse set of stakeholders at the table. If we want to move forward with nature and infrastructure-based solutions that improve the resilience of our natural engineering and social systems, right? So if we want to move forward with kind of sustainable and just land and water management transitions over time to help us adapt to changing environmental and economic conditions, you need a lot of perspectives at the table. And I would add that, you know, when it comes to source water protection, one other important thing to consider here is that no single solution is going to work, right? So the right combination or the portfolio of natural and capital investments needed to improve the resiliency of our uh, drinking water supply system is going to vary site to site. It's going to vary community to community. So we can't get stuck with tunnel vision about a single solution or a single approach and think that that's going to work everywhere because it won't. And so, you know, that's why I argue that it's, it's really critical that we continue to advance our understanding of not only these natural and physical processes and how they're impacted by human intervention, like land use change, but also the, uh, the basics uh, around value. You know, how much are these ecosystem services worth to growing populations and having a better understanding of these environmental processes and the economic benefits that these ecosystem services provide will really help us in designing solutions that are resilient to future change. Thank you so much, Justin. It's a, it's not a question of if we do these valuations. It's a question of how keeping in mind that each situation is its own situation. But I think really valuable for the listener today to see the nuances and to understand the background. It looks like our time is up. I want to thank you for tuning into what we feel is an important conversation on how appropriate valuation of the services that water can provide can result in water resources that lead to potential revenue streams, pun intended, for forest landowners. This evaluation of more than just the provisional services that forests provide is key to sustainable practices that result in win-win scenarios now and into the future. I also want to thank Travis and Justin for being here today and providing their insights to this episode. This is Leo Viana of the Sustainable Forestry Initiative for Keeping Forests, a diverse coalition conserving the natural, economic, and cultural value of Southern forests. The music in this podcast is by Chuck Lavelle. I want to thank everyone for tuning into How the River Flows. Join us next time as we explore the connections between healthy forests and clean water and see how others have built a partnership that benefits all. You can listen to How the River Flows on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm Carlton Owen.